Thank you, Elizabeth, for warming them up this morning. Wow, that was good. Those announcements were, were really good this morning. I don't know about anybody else, but I'm, I'm ready. Those announcements, let's go. Let's go. Whew. Yes, so um, we are starting our Engage series. This is the vision series for the church. Our vision here at Redeeming Love is to engage God, engage church, and engage culture. We say that week after week after week, and so what does it mean? We're going to get into that, and we're going to talk about that today. Before I get into my message today, I do want to just, uh, I want to, I want to jump into some of these announcements because they're so important, you know. Uh, we do things all year long, but I want to take a moment and stop, and I want to talk about the fast. Some of us here, we've been here forever or, or for 30 years like myself, and we know what the fast is all about. But if you don't, Monday through Saturday, we're going to meet here every single night, 6.30 to 8. There will be a different prayer topic every single night that we will pray for. And so this will be prayer and fasting. If you've never fasted before, Fasting is a supernatural way for you to acquire grace from God. The riches that God has come to you supernaturally. And fasting is one of the ways that we can speed up the process of acquiring what God has for us. If you've never fasted before, I want to encourage you to fast. Uh, and when we fast, we don't, we're not saying like, hey, you know, don't eat food for the whole week. No, that's not it. You, know, you can only go three days, uh, well, three days, no food, no water. But fast whatever you want. You know, what is God putting on your, what is it that takes up all of your time? What is it that's standing in the way of your relationship with God? Fast that and spend the time that you would ordinarily spend doing that thing. Spend that time praying. Elizabeth talked about fasting sleep. God has spoken to people here in the past about fasting sleep. We do 24 hours of prayer. That's one hour prayer slots. There'll be a Google document going out. You'll be able to sign up so you can do all that. I want to say this too. If you've never fasted food during the fast, think about it. And you don't even have to fast all food. You could fast um, meats and sweets, right? You could just say, I'm not going to eat any meat. I'm not going to eat any sweets. That's That's a version of a Daniel's fast. There's differing levels of that. You could fast and say, you could say, I'm going to fast and I'm only going to eat one meal a day. But you can't make that one meal like, you know, 10 times the size that you would normally make it. It has to be the same size, right? So there has to be a sacrifice. And when you do that, what you're doing is, is this. Fasting says that I am giving up the legitimate pleasures that I'm allowed to have. Food, sleep. TV, Facebook, whatever it is that you're going to fast, I'm giving up this legitimate pleasure that's not a sin so that I can step into the extreme pleasures that God has for me. And he's faithful. If you do it with faith, he's faithful, and he will reward you for your fast. That starts next week, uh, like we said, so that's awesome. I, I love the fast. For years, I never fasted. And then I, I heard these stories about uh, Lou Angle and his life riders and how they fasted and how they were given dreams and vision, visions and wisdom from heaven. And I was like, oh, I want to fast. And the Lord said, no, not yet. And so I was like, oh, I want to fast. And the Lord's like, no, not yet. And so the Lord held me off. I wanted to do it. And he said, no. And then all of a sudden there was a moment and he said, yes, now. And so we entered in and I, we fasted and I, I, now I live a fasted lifestyle. I want to fast all the time. My kids will come and be, they'll be like, listen, I'm, I'm, we'll, we'll be talking. They're saying like, listen, I'm praying about this and I'm going to fast. And I want, I, all of a sudden my spirit leaps up and I'm like, I'm fasting with you, right? 
Somebody's like, hey, I'm going to go see the Grand Canyon. You're like, I'm going with you, right? Because this is awesome. I can't wait. In the spiritual realm, somebody's like, I'm going to fast. I'm like, I'm fasting with you. It's that good. Fasting should not be a surprise to us. It shouldn't be like, wow, are these guys super Christians? They're fasting. No. If you've come from another church and they've never fasted before, it's just, it's right there. The Bible says, Matthew chapter 6, when you pray, you pray as a Christian? Absolutely. When you read your word, you read your words as a Christian? When you fast... It's just, it's, this is just 101. This is the, where it begins. There's nothing supernatural. There's nothing, I mean, there's something very supernatural about fasting. There's nothing that, about fasting that makes us super Christians because we're doing it. Actually, we're just ordinary. Glory to God. Well, hey, we're here. We're going to talk about engage God, engage church, engage culture. Um, engaging God is the single most important thing that we will ever do. Engaging God is the single most important thing that we will ever do. Engage means to connect on a deep level. So if we're going to connect with God on a deep level, that is the most important single thing that we'll ever do. They they came and they asked Jesus and they said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And there's another uh, clip that says, and with all your strength. This is the first and great commandment. Which is the greatest commandment? You know, Jesus didn't hesitate when he answered here. See, he didn't avoid the question. Jesus was asked, I forget the the number, the total number of questions that he was asked in in the text here, in the Gospels. He was asked something like three or four hundred questions. He answered three of them directly. Three, 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 four hundred, he answered three directly. This is one. There was no second guessing. There was no doubting what he was saying. He said, this is the most important thing in your life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Loving God is the single most important thing that you will ever do. Sing, none greater. None greater. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, if we don't get this one thing right, we'll fail at everything else. Yeah. It's that important. If we don't get this one thing right, we will fail at everything else we try to do. Loving God, knowing who He is, is the single most important thing that you will ever do as a Christian. A.W. Tozer said this, the low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils. A high view of God is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. When we don't understand who God is, it causes problems in our life, causes issues in our life. When we understand who God is, it solves all of those problems in our life. This is one of my top five favorite books of all time that I've ever read. It's called The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. It's a small book. The chapters are only two or three pages. 
Um, but he writes in such a way that it's, it's kind of mind-numbing. It's, it's really fantastic. Uh, Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. If you've never read this book, I recommend you get it. Pick up a copy, put it on your shelf, underline, go back over, read it once a year. Because you will not get it all the first time. It's way, 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 way too thick. I mean, it's thin, but it's deep. I don't know. So I do want to read a couple of excerpts from this because this is really what we're talking about today. The knowledge of the holy, the knowledge of who God is. Chapter one is um, why it's important that we need to know who God is. That's chapter one. And then chapter two is the God incomprehensible. Chapter one, you have to know God. Chapter two, you can't know God. <laughs> he writes like Jesus. All right, I want to read this from the book. This is just from the introduction. The low, and this, this is basically similar to, the, the, to the, um, the quote up here. It says, the low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere. Because we don't know who God is, we're more propensed to, to sin. A whole new philosophy of the Christian life has resulted from this one basic error. Wow. With our loss of the sense of majesty has come further the loss of religious awe and consciousness of the divine presence. Because we don't know who God is, we, we fail to recognize when he walks in the room. We have lost our spirit of worship not in this church, and our ability to draw away inwardly to meet with God in adoring silence. You have trouble being alone, being quiet with just you and God? Modern Christianity is simply not producing the kind of Christian who can appreciate or experience the life in the spirit. The words, be still and know that I am God, mean nothing, mean next to nothing to the self-confident, bustling worshiper in the middle part period of the 20th century. This book was written in 1960. <laughs> Shut the front door. How much, how much further have we come today? How much busier are we today? How much more confident are we in our own selves today? We need to know who God is. We need to hold him in, hold him in the reverential awe that he deserves we need to put him back in, in the highest esteem possible. Take, take your best thought of God, multiply it by 10, and you're not even getting close to who he is. He is so good, you can't exaggerate his goodness. We could, we could go off on how good God is, and we can't exaggerate. It's absolutely impossible for us to exaggerate how good God is. And, and we're like, eh. I don't know. Do you think that's true? Listen, I want to read something to you out of um, 2 Chronicles chapter uh, 9, verse 5. Nope, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read this, and then we'll talk about why I read it. How's that sound? 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 1. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test Solomon with hard questions, having a very great retinue, camels that bore spices, gold in abundance, and precious stones. She had all this stuff that she brought with her. Like, she came, and she was ready to camp out for a minute. The retinue, she brought this whole big party with her. 
She brought all the stuff that she would need, and she brought gifts for the king. Precious stones, and, and uh, when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all of her questions. Somebody say all. all. There was nothing so difficult for Solomon that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, can you imagine that she's amazed by the way that his servants sit at the table? The service of his waiters and their apparel. She's amazed at the clothes that the servants are wearing. His cupbearers and their apparel. And his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit in her. (laughs) When she saw the majesty and the grandeur and the splendor of Solomon and all that he lived in, there was, no more, there was no more spirit in her. She, she was like, I, 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 I don't know. Then she said to the king, it was, then she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. What I've heard, I see now that it's all true. However, I did not believe their words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told to me. Holy. (laughs) The only thing I can come back to is the Grand Canyon. It's this great big hole in the ground. And then you go out there and you're you're like, oh, I'm going to go look at a great big hole. And you stand there on the, you're like, I I can't believe it. I mean, no, it's even better than that. It's even greater than that. It's even bigger than that. Like, you just don't know until you see it. You got to come. The half of it wasn't told to me. They talked about it, and I didn't believe what you said. Like, these guys came and told me about Solomon, and I didn't believe it. But I'm telling you, not only is it as good as they said, they didn't even tell me half of it. It's twice as good as what they told me, and that I didn't believe. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, wow. Indeed, the half of your greatness was not told to me. You exceed the fame of which I had heard. Happier your men and happier those servants. Here's the point. I don't need to read anymore. Here's the point. We talk and 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 talk. I talk until I'm blue in the face about how good God is. And I'm telling you right now, it's all true, and it's not even half of it. It's not even half of it. It's not even half of it. When you get there and you look upon his majesty, you're going to fall down in wonder. You're going to fall down in awe. I, I, talk, I say this all the time. When I'm in it, when I finally get to heaven, and, you know, I, I'm just going to fall down and off for, I don't know, 10,000 years. Who knows? We're, we're there forever, 10,000 times 10,000. When, whenever time, and I finally get up off the floor, you're all going to be there, like, almost immediately because I'm going to spend so much time just in awe of who God is. 
Because that's who he is. He's that beautiful. He's that good. He, you can't exaggerate who he is. We need to, as Christians, we need to really find out who God is in the, in the depth of the core of our being. We need to know who God is here, but more importantly, we need to know who God is here. In our heart, we need to know him. We need to have no doubt, absolutely no doubt, that he is a good God. The Spirit of God is here to heal. Absolutely, 100% believe that. There is absolutely no lack on God's end. There is provision for every sickness right now. And our difficulty is having the faith to apprehend that which he's provided for us. The lack's not on his end. In the, in this, the, the text that Pastor Stacy talked about, it was so Luke chapter nine, where they, or Luke chapter four, where they lower the man through the roof. And um, it says, the presence of God was present to heal. The guy on the mat hadn't showed up yet. And the presence of God was already present to heal. And yet no one took advantage of the presence of God to heal. There are certain things that we can only apprehend through faith. We can only apprehend through faith. And so we have to have our faith increased. What did the disciples say? They went to Jesus and they said, increase our faith. Jesus is the source. Jesus, Hebrews tells us, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He started your faith and he'll bring it to completion. There's no other way that we get faith. We don't get faith, we don't get more faith by trying harder. We get more faith through surrender. We surrender to who he is, we surrender to his ways. We surrender to his goodness and his mercy and his compassion. And in the process, we get more faith. And faith is the thing that we need to apprehend the things of heaven and bring them to this earth. We need to understand who God is. And in understanding who our God is, who God is, we will increase our capacity for faith. We will increase our capacity to have every single thing that he has promised us. The Bible tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things, everything else that you're looking for will be added to you if you seek the kingdom first. Now, you can't seek the kingdom in order to get the things. That doesn't work because God knows your heart. And if you're seeking the kingdom to get, his, to get things, you're going to be cut off. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you as you have need. Here's, what the, here, here's another quote. Once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, <laughs> most of life's other problems fall into place of their own accord. Our main job, why am I still here? I'm still here for this reason. I'm still here to, number one, get a better understanding of who God is and to help everyone else around me to understand better who God is. We all need to understand better who God is because when we understand better who God is, the benefit for us is that everything else in our life, all the problems, they're just going to disappear, fade away. They're like, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Why is it not a big deal? Because God. Why is it not a big deal? God. I don't understand. No God. Come, no God. You'll understand. Just get to know him a little bit. Matthew 25, 21 says this. Uh, Jesus uh, Jesus is telling this parable, and he says, uh, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. 
You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. How many of us think about going to heaven? We think this is what we want to hear, right? This is what we all want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant, right? How many of you know that you don't get in because of what you've done? <laughs> kind of funny, right? Jesus says, right, this is, uh, this is a parable that Jesus told, and he's talking about uh, the, the talents, right, and the, the guy with the 10 talents, right? So, well done, enter into the kingdom, you know, uh, enter into the joy of your Lord. I will make you ruler over many things. I don't want to be ruler over anything. What are you talking about? Enter, well done, well done, well done. But our works don't get us there. The works are simply a byproduct of us living right with God. A, uh, an apple tree doesn't have to work to produce apples. When the apple tree gets healthy, apples are produced as a byproduct. There's no struggle, there's no strain for an oak tree to produce acorns. It just happens. It's just natural, it's just normal. And the same thing's true with you or I. When we are walking with the Lord, when we are in love with God and we love our neighbor as ourself, as scripture tells us, the natural byproduct of our love for God and love for one another is gonna be us doing good works for others. And then Jesus says, well done. You did a good job. You know what's interesting to me? Just go through, I do this often. I'll just go through and I'll just read the gospels. I'll just read the gospels through again. I'll just read the gospels through again because I do read other stuff like this and I've got a number of other, I'm, I've, I'm always reading, but Sometimes you just got to come back to what the word says. And beyond that, sometimes you've just got to come back to what Jesus said. I've even gone to the point where I've picked up my Bible and I've started in Matthew and I've read through John and I just read the red letters. I just read the highlighted portions. It was more important. That's why they made it red. The words that Jesus spoke. I do this and I do it regularly. What what do I do when I read the word? I read it over and over and over again because I discover things that I never saw before. You know what I realized when, when I read through, yeah, this is what we're kind of all waiting to say. But you know what Jesus says to those who, who don't get in? I know in this parable, he says to the, to the one who didn't do, right, the one talent who took and hit it, he says, you wicked and lazy servant, right? But who do, what does he say to everybody else that doesn't get in? He says something different. In the beginning of Matthew 12, 25, there's a parable of the 10 virgins, and he says, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. And so as much as we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, what he really winds up saying to those who don't get in is, hey, I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. We read this over and over and over and over again. If you don't believe me, just take, like I said, just go to Matthew chapter 1, read straight through to John chapter 22, You'll see how many times does this pop up? I never knew you. I never knew you. I never knew you. To those who are cast out where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, he says, I never knew you. I never knew you. I never knew you. As a matter of fact, I think it's the most predominant thing that he says to those who don't make it into heaven. I don't know who you are. There's never been a case that's more about it doesn't matter what you know. It matters who you know. There's never been a case more important or more deliberate where it doesn't matter what you know. You got to know your word, but you don't have to know your word. You have to know the word. You have to know Jesus, who is the word. And if you know Jesus, you're in. When you come to the gate, 
when you come to the gate of heaven, it's not like, all right, let me see what you did. Here's this little quest test. Can you fill out this survey? We need to know that you know. No. They're like, listen, does, they're going to flip your picture to Jesus. Do you know this guy? <laughs> the bouncer at the door. Do you know this guy? Do you know this girl? Do you know this lady? Do you know this one? You're in. He knows you. You're in. You're in. He knows you. One of the first scriptures I ever memorized, Matthew 7, 21. For many will say to me in that day, not everyone who's, I'm different versions. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's this idea of knowing. How well do we know God? Knowing God gets us in the door. And I believe that we can know God and get in the door and live a very secondary uh, life here that's not full of the kingdom and still get in. I believe that that's possible, but that's not God's best for us. God has something greater in store. And what's greater is that we get to live the kingdom of God here on the earth right now all of our days. We get to live with peace and hope and joy because it all comes from him. It's his and he gives it to us freely. When we're living in him and from him and the more that we know him, the more that we're going to walk this out. What kind of a, you know, it's, it's the first of the year, right? And we're making all these New Year's resolution, resolutions. I have it. I did it. I wrote a little note, typed out 2023. You know, we do this, uh, we, you know, some of us do this where, you know, we, we pray and we're like, what is God going to do this year? Pastor Stacy last year, uh, she was like, God, what's my word? What's my word for 2022? Some people get a word. Some people get a scripture. Some people get a thing. And I'm, I do, what, God, what do you want for me for 2023? And he spoke to me and he said, do this, do this, do this. So I got a list. Thank you, Lord. What's God calling you to for 2023? You know, do we want to be, are you satisfied with being a Christian that just lives the worldly life? Because we can do that. Or do you want to be a Christian that lives in the kingdom of God. And, you know, Troy is just a place where you get mail. Troy is, Troy is, yeah, Troy is where I live, but heaven is my home. And I'm homesick. And there's no cure for it. Until Jesus comes and he's here with me, I will mourn the rest of my life. I live this life that's set apart for God and I'll have it no other way because it's where there's peace and joy and hope. The world becomes very strange when heaven is your home. You turn on the TV and you're like, why are we even looking at this? What are they even doing? Why would, we, why, why would anybody be entertained by this? This isn't entertaining. And then we understand our flesh, and we understand, okay, this is under entertaining to the flesh, but I'm not of the flesh. I'm of the spirit. 
And I have righteousness that is of God. And I don't want to satisfy the flesh because it's going to interfere with the spirit. I don't want to do anything that's going to hinder the presence from coming in my life in a greater dimension. I don't want that to get anywhere near me. I don't want it to get anywhere near me. We, we, were, we were at a, a thing the other day, and I said, let's switch seats. And my wife said, is that a temptation for you? And I said, no, it's not a temptation. I said, I just don't even want to be distracted. I don't even want to, I don't even want to be close. I don't even want to, I don't even, it's not a temptation, but I don't even want to set anything that's not pure before my eyes. I'm going to draw the line in the sand where sin is, and I'm going to get so far back from it that if I trip and fall, there's still no way I'm falling in. Why? Because I want to live in the kingdom like that. I want to live in the kingdom like that. I want, when I go out, I want the presence of God to go with me so that the power and the signs and the wonders and the miracles are demonstrated before me so that before I open my mouth and preach the gospel, they're already believing that God's behind me somehow. That's the life that I'm longing to live. That's the life that I'm looking to live. And I'll settle for nothing less. And we're all invited into the process. I'm not any better than anybody else. God didn't choose me special just because. Everyone has the same opportunity. Actually, actually, we're all called to do it this way. You're all invited into the process. Matthew 10, 37. The, the, the import here, I, I kind of bouncing around a little bit, a few different ideas. The import here over the entirety of the message is loving God, right? So Matthew 10, 37, Jesus says, he who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy than me, worthy of me. And he who loves his son or his daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Sometimes we read the scriptures and we're like, huh? Wait, what? Follow, follow my thinking through here for a minute. If I love my son more than I love God, then I'll lie and cheat and steal and do anything that God told me that I shouldn't do in order to help my son. That's what happens when I love my son more than God. But when I love God more than I love my son, then I'm going to make my son or my daughter, I'm going to make my children fall in line with what God says. Yeah, amen. Because I know that that's what's best for them. Yeah. This is why we have to have our priorities in order. If I love anyone more than I love God, then I'll, I'll disobey God in order to satisfy the longing or the desire of that other one that I love more. But if, if my love is solely God first, then I'm going to do everything in my power to help everyone else on the list the way that God would have loved them. I can't make it up on my own. I have to follow his rules. Look at this. Life priorities. Here they are. I've said them before. If you haven't heard it, here they are again. They've been this way for 25, 30 years. Couldn't tell you how long I've been doing this, but it's been a long time. And it's biblically based. God first. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. We just read, whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. We love God first. God first. God first. God first. Let me say it again. Say it with me. God first. Spouse second. Family third. Yeah, you've got to love your spouse more than you love your children. Parents. What happens? Let's just pull the same antidote, right? Here's the father, here's the mother, and the father loves the kid more than he loves the wife, so now the father's gonna do things for the kid that are basically undermining what the wife said. Now you've got a divided parent. Now the, now the child's gonna rule over the parents because you're divided as a, as a household. Mom and dad, get together, right? Raise your kids together. Love your, love your spouse greater than you love your kids. I, I love my kids. I love my spouse. I love my wife. I love my kids. There's priorities. Family. Family, kids, you know, other family, depending on how far you want to go with that. Church fourth. Wait, what? Church fourth. Isn't church God? No. <laughs> Isn't church God? No. Isn't God and church in the same thing? No. They're not the same. They're not the same. God is God. You're the church. I love you guys. I don't love you guys as much as I love him. <laughs> True. <laughs> yes, you're welcome. <laughs> I don't love you guys as much as I love my own kids, and I don't love you guys as much as I love my own wife, but I love you guys more than I love my work. fair that's fair you know I, I i i analyze my list often this is my list five things been there for 25 years and i analyze it often and sometimes i think uh, should work really be in fifth place i really think maybe maybe it should drop down to like sixth or seventh i'm not sure uh, we'll visit that some other time yeah how important is work no we have to do things but church church we can become distracted from what God wants us to do by doing good things for the church. Now, if you haven't got anything to do, do something. If you haven't got anything to do, find your engage card and says, sign me up to serve and sign something, right? Just pick a box. Don't, you don't know what to do? Just close your eyes and be like, that's what I'm doing. I'm on the maintenance team. I don't know a screwdriver from a hammer, but here we go. Let's go. Because if you're doing something, then God's going to move you to what he wants you to do. But if you sit there and do nothing, why sit here and die? You're just sitting there and dying. Get up and move. Like, even if you don't know a screwdriver from a hammer, but you sign up for the worship team, and you're, you're, you're all in, you're like, Pastor Matt, I want to be on the, the maintenance team, and I don't know a screwdriver. I, I did the thing, you know, and I hit it, and it said worship team. I can't carry a tune in a basket, but... You come and we'll be like, okay, all right. You, there's a tryout for the worship team. And although you have passion and I love that, your skill set really doesn't fit. So we're going to put you on something that you can, you're good at. You're good with computers. We're going to put you on AV or live feed. We're going to meet your skill set with the need. Now, if you really want to be on the worship team, I'm all for that. And if that, you don't believe that that was God, then you go and get, you get some voice lessons and you get a few music lessons and you learn that the A, B, C, D, I don't know, scales. My kids know them all and I don't know anything. 
they talked about, they talked to me about transposing music. I won't pick up the guitar, that'd be bad. <laughs> and then they talked about how they're transposing music in their mind on the fly while they're playing. And I'm like, what? You're telling me that you're supposed to be on A in the key of G, but when you turn it to the key of E, because you're singing in a different thing, now you're going to, instead of playing the A, you're going to play the F. And I'm like, huh? How, what? Is there a mathematical equation to figure all of this? How do you know that? I mean, you're reading this in English, and you're translating it to Russian through Latin. <laughs> word by word while you're playing is what you're telling me. And you can do this. Like, I mean, I think my mind works pretty well, and I start music, and it's just, it hurts. <laughs> we can become distracted from God by doing things for the church or doing things for God. We can become distracted from God by doing things for God, right? We, we support his table. It's a great ministry down in, south, down in downtown Troy. Uh, they feed the poor. They feed the underprivileged every Wednesday, all year long, free hot meals. Uh, and we support them financially, and we send people down there. You know, you want to you wanna get on board with, you know, feeding the underprivileged? Go to his table. We know those people. They're good people. The gospel is presented. You want to do it? Go there. You could go there and you could serve and that's not what God has you to do. And you could serve there and miss what God has for you serving God. I'm not saying you're going to miss God by going to feed the poor. Some of you all need to go feed the poor. But we could pick anything to do and become distracted from what God has for us. Because God has something greater in store. We want to go, sometimes we want to go, it's... I'm in the boat, guys. Sometimes it's easier to just go and serve than it is to go and lead something. How many of you know how hard it is to lead something? Right, we're going to, hey, we're going to tear down all these Christmas decorations and nobody shows up. Guess who's doing it all? Right? That's, the, that's, the, <laughs> that's what you're signing up for when you're a leader. Hey, we're going to have 24-hour prayer and we're going to have one-hour slots. You get to pray one hour a day all th from the beginning of the fast to the end of the fast, from Sunday at 12 when we end here until Sunday at 10 when we come back. Every single hour of the day, we're going to have somebody praying. Sign up, for, sign up for an hour or two. And no one signs up. Guess who's praying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's easier to just go and do than it is to lead because when, when push comes to shove and nobody shows up, you, you've got the ball, guy. Go. But sometimes we, we, we hesitate to, to lead something, and we're like, nah, I'll just, and we can become distracted. God has more for us. Matthew twenty two thirty six. 36. We read it already. We're going to read it again. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. We need to love God with our mind. We need to understand in our mind that God is worthy of love. God is, needs to be the one that we love. This is why we read books. This is why we read our Bibles, because our mind needs to know that we love God. 
Our mind needs to know that we love God. We need to be convinced that we love God and that we need to love God and that we should love God. Why do we love God? The Bible tells us we love God because he first loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and made a way for us to be with him. God is worthy of all of our love. He's worthy of all of our affection. He is worthy of all of our praise. If you are not moved to worship when you think about God, then you're not ready for heaven yet. Heaven is a wonderful place. There's no more joy. There's no more pain. There's no more sickness. There's no more disease. You'll never get hungry. Heaven is the place of perfection. And if you're not moved in your heart to worship God, then you're not ready for heaven yet. We need to love God with all of our mind. When we understand who God is, there's no way you're not going to love him. After we've, it doesn't have to happen in this order, but it's easier this way for me at least. After we've come to a place where we know God and we understand why we, need, why we love him, then we need to love him with our heart. Loving with our heart is different than loving with our mind. You've all been in, most of us have been in love before, right? And you're like, <laughs> somebody from the outside looking in and saying, these guys are in love. You're like, what are they carrying on for? Nah, I was in love once, right? I was, we were in love. We were like that once. We're still in love. It's different now. It's better. Love with our heart. Our heart comes to a place where we love and I can't even explain to you why. It's difficult for me to explain the things of the heart. And nothing has place or preeminence over God in my heart. And we love God with our soul. We love God with all of our being. Our emotions, our intellect, everything we have, we press in to love God. We make him first priority in our life. And so when we say that we are here to engage God, it's not a small thing. It's the most important thing. We need to engage with God. We need to know who he is. We need to know his thoughts. We need to know how he thinks about every single thing that comes across our path. Something pops up on the news and it says, this happened. What does God think? We need to know immediately what God thinks. How do we know immediately what God thinks of things that are happening that has never happened before? We know because we know the word. And when something happens, we compare it back and what does the word say? And if we don't have that much of a, a quick recollection, the other way that we can know how God thinks is that we have the Holy Spirit within us. And so when a, a situation arises that we've never known before, we ask the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit says, answers, this, that. Two scriptures, there are a couple scriptures apart. One says, answer a fool according to, do not answer a fool according to his folly. A couple verses later, it says, answer the fool and save him from the judgment. And so how am I supposed to know if I'm supposed to answer a fool or not? Bible told me to do it and they told me not to do it. They told me to do it. We know by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit guides us and tells us when we answer and when we don't. When they'll listen and when they won't. You can't know. I can't know. I'm not that smart. I don't give myself that much credit. But I can hear from heaven. I can hear the Holy Spirit. And I can, not only do I know when to answer and when not to answer, I know what to say. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your strength. This is the first and great commandment. And love your neighbor as yourself is the second, if we were to continue to read here in Matthew 22, 36, 38, 39, 40. And then it says, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Here's the Old Testament and New Testament. This is what's known as the law and the prophets. This is the New Testament. And what's Jesus saying? He says, all of the law and the prophets, this whole portion of text comes down to two things, cliff notes. You want to skip it? <laughs> you want to skip this part? Do two things and you can skip this. That's a lot of pages. You want to skip it? Do two things. If you do these two things well, you don't have to read the Old Testament. <laughs> love God, love your neighbor. Okay, how do I do that? The answers are right here. <laughs> just, go, just go read. That was Cliff Notes, but that's the way Cliff Notes works. It doesn't really give you the answers. It just gives you the right answer. You know. This... this Love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with every fiber of your being. I love the fact that Deuteronomy adds in your strength because sometimes we actually have to work at it. Sometimes it's actually work. Sometimes we have to actually press through. Sometimes we actually have to put some passion behind our, our, our thinking and our heart and we have to push through. We have to do it sometimes when we, when we don't feel like doing it. How many of you are married in here? Do you always feel like loving your wife? Do you always feel like loving your husband? I'm telling you what, I know, you know, and we know that sometimes there's days where we don't feel like doing it. We do it anyways. You got kids? <laughs> Love your kids. There's days, man, I'm telling you. You feel like loving your kids today? I, not even, I won't even go down that road. I won't even let that thought enter into my mind. What are you talking about? Do I think I feel like loving my kids? Nothing in the word tells me to feel like loving my kids. It just says to do it. Understand that the first motion of love is to provide for and to protect. And then love goes on from there. That's, that's where it begins. So the beginning of love is to provide for and to protect. And then we can move on from there about all the gushy stuff and good, you know, what we think. Oh, this is good. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Is that 2023, here we go. Uh, I'm telling you what right now, I'm, I'm buckling up. Buckle up, buttercup. I'm buckling up because 2023 is going to be a year where I know that the Lord is calling me to run. 2023 is going to be a year where the presence of God is poured out in a new supernatural way that we've never seen before within these four walls. It's going to happen here. And we're going to carry it into the streets. And so I know that I need to run. And I'm asking you to join me and, invi and I'm inviting you to join me. Buckle up with me. First Kings says it this way. It says, Elijah girded up his loins, and then he outran the chariot, which was impossible for him to do in the natural. And so the invitation that I want to give you today is to buckle up. Will you buckle up with me? Get ready. Get ready. 
get ready. Make yourself ready. What does it mean to, to gird up their loins? So Elijah was a man of God. He would wear long robes, right? And so imagine if I had a long robe on that came down to my feet. If I started to run, I'd trip and fall. So I'm going to take the robe, and I'm going to take this one, and I'm going to tie it up, and I'm going to take this one, I'm going to take this one, and I'm going to tie it up so that when I run, the robe's not in the way of my feet so that I can run. But then, in the midst of that, it says that he outran the chariot. Are you telling me? Horses run at what, 26, 35, 42 miles an hour? 42, I think, is top. Somebody knows the top speed? They run fast, guys. Top speed of a human over short distance is 22. And if you're going to run for any length of time, you're going to back down to like six, seven. You can't run that fast that long. Marathoners run like eight miles an hour. Horses are 22, 35, 45 for a clip, you know, till they die. A horse will run, run itself into the ground. He outran the horse. You can't do that in the natural. I'm, I'm buckling up, and I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit to come behind me because I know that it's God behind me that empowers me, strengthens me to do it, to do the thing that I set my mind to do. I made the plan to go there. Elijah made the plan to go there. He, I'm going to go to Jezreel, so he's buckling up his stuff. And then he starts to run, and as he starts to move, some of us are waiting for the power of God when God's waiting for you to move. Move. <laughs> and when he starts to move, God puts the wind in the sails that are already out. And he says, yeah, watch this. Here you go. Outrun that horse. Go. Sign me up. The Bible talks about greater works. I want to see the greater works. It talks of Paul and how he worked miracles. God still works miracles today. If, he's, if he, God doesn't still provide healing and miracles, he needs to change his name from I was, from I am to I was, but he's not. He still is I am. It talks about how Paul did miracles, and then it talks about how Paul did extraordinary miracles. And we're told that we're to do greater works. Sign me up. I'm ready. I'm ready. God's moving. We're here. Let's go. Let's go. We're going we're to take the communion today. So if you have your elements, just open that up. If, if you struggle with this, you just push down on the little tab like this, and then that little film across the top pops loose, and it's easier to open it that way. Jesus, when he was with his disciples... He took the bread and he said to his disciples, this is my body, which is given for you. This is the new covenant. This is my body and it's given for you. Every time you take this body, every time you take this bread, remember my body that was broken for you. I did it for you. And so when we think about the body of the Lord, Jesus accomplished many things in his body. It says the stripes upon his back were for the healing of the saints. That's you and I. We're all saints of God. The stripes upon Jesus' back, Jesus received those stripes in his physical body. So when we take this representation of his body, we are literally taking physical healing to ourselves. Why? Because of the stripes that he paid in his body.
Jesus' body was broken, it says, and because of the body of Jesus Christ, the veil of separation was torn in two. And so there's no longer any division between us and anyone else who would call themselves a Christian. There's no divisions. And so we don't ever want to talk bad about any other religion, any other uh, believer in Christ. We want to support all other Christian ministries. We want to work with them as much as possible. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We want there to be no dividing wall. The gospel is for everyone, Jew and Gentile and everyone else in between. The dividing wall between Jew and Gentile is gone. It's broken. And so it's for everyone. There is no one that can't be reached because of the body of Christ. As we take the body today, we remember Jesus. We remember his sacrifice. We remember the fact that Jesus came to earth. The God of eternity stepped into human flesh and lived among us, God Emmanuel. While we were yet sinners, while we were enemies of the cross, Jesus loved us. God loved us. Jesus came, lived a sinless, perfect life so that we could have fellowship with him once again. Jesus, we thank you for your body. We break this and we take it together in Jesus' name. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Sin is disobedience to God. Sin is any time that we've ever disobeyed God in anything at all. And the blood of Jesus, when we repent and we ask God to forgive us, the blood of Jesus washes sin away. Under the Old Testament covenant, the blood of animal sacrifice covered over our sin. But under the new covenant, the blood of Jesus washes our sin away and it no longer exists. It's different and we need to understand that. Jesus paid the price with his body. His blood was poured out for you and for me. Hebrews says the blood of the lamb, the blood of Jesus that speaks a, a better blood than the blood of lambs and of goats. It's a better blood. It's a better covenant. We stand in a place of life everlasting. Paul says if the covenant of the Old Testament, which he called the covenant of death, caused Moses' face to shine so much that the Israelites couldn't look at his face, how much more should this covenant of life bring resurrection power to us? This is life. We drink life this morning. The life of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, the fullness of who he is in our lives. The same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of us. As we take this cup this morning, and Jesus is going to forgive our sins because we're asking. Let's take a moment and just ask God to forgive us of our sins. And as we, I want, to, I want us to do this today. 
the whole idea here was, you know, loving God and, and thinking rightly of who God is. And so I just want to take a few moments and I want us to think and think to ourselves where we've thought wrong about who God is and ask God to forgive us. He's faithful. If we ask, he'll forgive us. Well, let's take a moment and let's examine ourselves. Let's think where we've thought wrong. Because if we, here's the, here's the point, is that if we can correct wrong thinking, we'll move in new power. Let's examine. Before we take the cup, I want to. I'm going to. Um, I want us to openly respond to what the Lord is doing right now. The Lord is forgiving right now, and I want. I want us to openly respond. If we talk. If we go back to the scripture that was first brought up, the presence of God was present to heal, but nobody responded. And so I want us to respond. We're in the midst of family this morning. We're in the midst of family. And so I'm going to call out a few things. And as I call out some things, I want you to stand. No judgment. We've all thought wrong somehow about God. And so... I'm going to call out some things maybe that we've thought wrong about God. And if I, if, if I say something that pertains to you, I want you to stand. This isn't even so that I can know. This is just so that you can make a public declaration in the midst of family. Because we're family here. No judgment. It's a better family. But there needs to be a public acknowledgement of repentance. God... So I'm going to call out some things, and when I call them out, if that's you, just stand to your feet. Lord, forgive us for making you too small in our eyes. God, forgive us for thinking that you are a God that doesn't heal. God, forgive us for thinking that we're less than what you've actually made us to be. God, forgive us for having a wrong mindset of who we are in you. God, forgive us for failing to worship when we should. God, forgive us for continuing to sin in the same patterns over and over. God, forgive us for uh, questioning you wrongly, Lord, with a wrong heart, with a long, wrong motive. God, forgive us for deliberately disobeying when we knew that it was wrong. 
God, forgive us for knowing that we need to spend more time with you to find out who you are and we haven't. God, forgive us for lacking in majesty. God, forgive us for not understanding your holiness, not understanding your righteousness. God, forgive us for not understanding all of who you are and help us to understand who you are, God. Jesus, we thank you for your blood shed on the cross. We thank you for your sacrifice for us. As we take this cup of the new covenant of your blood this morning, we thank you that you forgive us of our sins and that you give us the grace to live better. We give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Stay standing for a moment. Father, right now we just pray for healing all across this room. If you are sick in your physical body, I want you to lift your hands. Father, we pray for healing all across this room for every sickness, for every disease. We pray for healing to flow in Jesus' name. The healing that was provided through the cross, healing flow in Jesus' name. Father, we pray right now for broken families to be restored in Jesus' name. God, for brothers and sisters to talk to one another again, for mothers and sons and daughters and children and parents to talk to one another again. God, we pray for your healing power to touch families all through this room, every person that's represented in this room today. God, we pray that you would cause us to be ministers of your gospel, that your power would go with us today as we go. God, that you would put your word in our mouths and your power in our hands and that, God, when we share with others about you, God, that there would be signs and demonstrations and there would be no, no discussion as to whether or not you're real, God. Father, move, we pray. God, go beyond us. Father, we thank you for all that you've done today. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. God, cause us to seek you wholeheartedly this year. And God, that we would come to know better who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Elizabeth, come receive the offering this morning. Thank you guys so much. Next week, we're talking about Engaged Church. And next 